The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Hello, welcome to episode 24 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the Membership Director for Wealth Builders, and I'm joined by Mr. Kevin Whelan. Good morning, Chris. How are you today? I am very, very good indeed. Glorious sunshine, smile on my face. Looking forward to a, another Wealth Talk with your good self. Hey, Chris, I've got a, I've got a little bit of alliteration for you today. Go for it. So, well, later on, we're going to do the five Ps of due diligence, right? But uh-huh. I just had a weird thought. So I spent yesterday at uh, the graduation of my youngest son, uh, Simon. And, um, and I realized as we, my wife and I were, were chatting and we were sipping on some Prosecco, which isn't one of the P's, by the way. And, and we kind of realized that my three kids have all got degrees beginning with P. <laughs> it was <Fancy> that. <laughs> curious you know, when you realize it. So, so Holly's got a psychology degree. Michael's got a philosophy degree, and Simon did property development. Would you believe? So, so Kevin. I think he, he was the fastest to learn about the pillars. I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah he's um, lining himself up for you know a career in in property, which is which is absolutely fantastic. Which, of course, is an investment class we're going to be coming on to very soon. But I think today's about wrapping up or at least having a wrap-up of the pillar number three, which is investments. And we had some good contributions, didn't we, from some of our guests last time, and, and some brilliant contributions this week, I think. We have. We have uh, another couple of Wealth Builders clients to share today, and we've actually been receiving quite a few messages since the last couple of weeks. We've been covering the investment pillar and a lot of interest specifically around low-cost investing and how people can understand that a bit more and and how they can actually start getting getting going. So it's definitely something that we've we've we will be addressing, won't we, Kevin? I think so, and I, and I think you know we discussed, albeit with the tongue firmly in the cheek, about the CRAP model. You know the charges, the the risk, and and you know having a good process and so forth, and that was covered in previous podcasts. But I think the the big issue, and I'll stress this again and again and again as many times as I can say it out loud, Chris, that when you're investing in the stock market, you know, the, the key thing is the only thing you can control is your charges. So if you control your costs or your charges, you know, we can definitely uh, bring and help our, our students and our, our wealth builder community members access any investments they want to hold in the market and whatever proportion of their overall wealth building activities they want to choose and we'll hear from very seasoned wealth builder uh, member mike uh, who has got a very specific way about mitigating risk and what proportion of money has Uh, i suppose you know he's built that over many many years of our relationship but the point is you know the charges are the key thing and uh, we're working very very hard to try and bring a wealth builder uh, offering so that we can genuinely find you know the lowest cost way that stock market investments can be accessed and that will mean easy ways to manage money simple processes easy to follow easy to access 
in terms of information, remembering that any investment in the stock market should be for the medium term. You know, it's not for short term money. Let's stress that as well, Chris, because you know we we need to in our wealth building life we need to be flexible, don't we, to have money that's liquid, and we don't regard stock market investments as while they are liquid, you can sell them. We don't regard them as a liquid asset because it's very important that investments are seen as a long-term strategy as opposed to a short-term park of money to get at it pretty quickly because markets are volatile, as we know. Yeah, and I guess, you know, the grander scheme of things, when the word investments is said, people do immediately think to the stock market. Maybe in the wealth builders world, people also think of investing in property, but there's a number of different investments out there on there, Kevin. And today, we just wanted to touch on just a few more just to give a bit more of um, an overall view of the investment pillar and the opportunities that are out there for people. Yeah, so maybe it's worth just diving in a little bit. And first of all, say that, you know, this isn't an attempt in a podcast to, to provide a definitive educational list of every, you know, what we would call loosely in inverted commas, let's say, alternative investments. But alternative kind of means different things to different people. So why don't I have a go just thinking about what that might mean? It, mm-hmm. Alternative investment, I suppose it really means something that, generally speaking, falls outside of the scope of FCA regulation. Now, the FCA are the governing body who regulate all investments for the sake of protecting investors. That's why there's FCA compensation schemes or, or through the FCA anyway. There's compensation schemes. It's advisors are highly regulated. Pensions are regulated. ICEs are regulated, all those things. But increasingly we're seeing, and also, Chris, in ICEs, we're seeing a wider range of investments coming into play. And it's definitely worth touching on one of those today, which is the market for what was probably affectionately known as either peer-to-peer or investing as part of a crowd. And what we don't mean is you don't turn up, you know, and invest and, and, and raise your arms and bid like an auction in, inside a crowd, but you just become one of a whole range of people who are investing remotely. And this is becoming much more sophisticated now, Chris, particularly in uh, in all sorts of different investments, but we're seeing now something called of an innovative ISA, uh, you know, it's like the government now recognizing that you can hold more uh, different assets other than the stock market, because traditionally ICEs have only ever been the domain of cash or the stock market. But now, you know, there's a there's a whole new world of, of, of innovation as far as ISA is concerned. Still the same limits, still the same 20,000. But uh, and the most popular one, I think, definitely worth touching on. And I know Michelle is going to talk about that, isn't isn't she? Um, about something which is sort of peer to peer, but through through property, um, because you know she likes property. She's got a very solid background in the ownership of property, but her diversification play in properties, investing in other people's projects, but not, I suppose, directly by lending money to a property expert or a developer, but by investing through a platform just like you can invest in a stock market platform. We talked about that. But this is a sort of a, a way to invest in a platform into property projects, which you know she's looked at and determined they fit her. And again, that's a reflection. You know, Michelle is very much a, 
is that all of our wealth builders are in an individual with very strong views and uh, she's investing well reflecting her own views so if you want i can talk about different types of, of, of peer-to-peer or can just listen to michelle um depending on what you think chris well maybe shall we let Michelle, describe in her own words what she's been up to, and then we can follow that with with Mike, and then we can uh, we can comment on on both of those. Great, let's do that. Okay, so what are the different types of peer to peer that are out there, Kevin? Well, you know, as I touched on earlier on, peer to peer is is just a, a generic term, and I think it would be easy to break the market down into three main aspects, Chris. So peer to person, which is where individuals can invest money where that money is then reused by people generally in a kind of consumer-led society and you you'll see companies like uh, zopa z-o-p-a and uh, you know they're basically you're investing in a credit risk you're providing funding for other people to spend in the same way as banks and credit cards do and there's a resonance issue with some people on that you know certainly personally and i'm Speaking personally only here, Chris, I don't like the idea of my money profiting from people using their money to buy consumer things. You know, to me, the whole idea of investing is to make everybody more wealthy as a result of that. And people buying stuff doesn't appeal to me. However, that doesn't mean, you know, you can't do that. Uh, So that's a market uh, peer to person. Um, Michelle, as we talked about, likes peer to property. So the idea behind that is, you know, a, a good property platform that does good rigorous due diligence on the developer and the project will then bring forward an opportunity posted on a platform. Individual investors can go and look at that property, study the due diligence pack that's almost always provided on there. And if they like the investment and they like the return, those returns are typically in the sort of six to ten percent mark often eight to ten eight to ten or sometimes even more than that chris so you know quite quite attractive rates but not without risk that's the whole point of the due diligence but investing a very small part of a a large property opportunity can sometimes yield let's say decent returns without an awful lot of time so you're not going to look at the sites you're not going to look at the projects so you might be denied the learning opportunity that roi of return on intellect but if you're happy with property you're happy with the project you're happy with the diligence if you can get eight nine ten percent then that can be a good investment and that's certainly something that michelle likes mike is uh, talking about peer to business so peer to business then is where individuals will invest in a company where a company's making some form of a almost like a dragon's den pitch, I suppose, really. Like a a company trying to grow, they'll explain what it is they do, they'll explain what it is they're uh, planning to do, why they need money, what they need the money for. Often there'll be a due diligence pack to say what the numbers are of the company, size of the market, you get the idea. And you can invest in businesses and support business. Obviously the risk is very different. The security is often much less, but there can be security there as well. So like everything, it's all in the due diligence, but it's also a reflection of of who you are and what you like. And Mm. by all means, you know, looking at different ways of 
investing is part of the crowd, Chris. This is growing. This is a burgeoning side of the market. And while we've just touched on three there, there's more than enough for a wealth builder to be looking at there now. And uh, it might be an interesting just to hear the you know individual perspectives of Michelle and Mike, just to say why they're doing what they're doing, why they like that, and why it's a, a part of their overall wealth building mix. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a great time. So let's head on over and let's listen to Michelle Bryant and Mike Hedgecox. Hey, so I'm with Michelle Bryant today, Wealth Builders client. Welcome to Wealth Talk, Michelle. Hi there. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Good. Now, I know, Michelle, you've been looking at alternative ways that you can invest. And would you mind giving us a bit of uh, background around what you've been looking into specifically? Yes, sure. Right. So basically, I'm a chartered accountant. That's my background. So I've been in the finance world for quite a long time. I've had a SAS for about 18 months, and I was particularly interested in looking at crowdfunding and how I could utilize that to complement my property portfolio. And I did start off by investing personally with personal money. And then I started using SAS funds. So I found it, it's worked very well for me as a diversification concept. Great. And for someone who maybe isn't quite clear really what crowdfunding is all about, would you mind just giving them the the kind of 101 on how it works? Sure. So basically, it gives investors an opportunity to invest from, in some platforms, from one pound in developers' projects all across the UK. And you can either invest in an equity crowdfunding opportunity or a debt crowdfunding opportunity, which is like a loan, effectively. And for me, it's been great because I've always been a London investor. So I've been open to investing all around the UK. So geographically diversified. I've done a mixture of equity and debt. So I've got a mixture of terms so I can recycle my funds. Money comes back at different times and I'm able to spread my risk. Obviously, I do my due diligence on projects myself. I'm very, very thorough. I like to get to know the developer and if possible, get to visit the site and learn as much as I can. And um, I just go with what my gut feeling is and I can invest depending on what I'm or risk I'm willing to take. So it's all about um, spreading the risk and, and depending on what your appetite is, what you go with. Yeah, that sounds great. And you mentioned there about the SAS and I know you spoke at an event in London a couple of weeks ago and there's something else that, you know, you've, you've been helping people understand that they can do with their SAS in terms of investing as well, isn't there, Michelle? Yeah, sure. I've had a number of people contact me wanting to know more about crowdfunding because obviously um, with the internet and all the new opportunities that the internet has allowed um, an investor to do, a lot of people are, are, you know, some are only just really hearing about what crowdfunding can do and how it can be open. Um, It can let, you know, a lot more people onto the property ladder with um, very little outlay of funds. And I've had a number of people say to me, I've gone into the 50% loan back option with my SAS and I'm wanting to know what I could do with the other 50%. And crowdfunding is something that they're particularly open to where they can just invest their money, you know, up to a year or a little bit longer, get that money back, grow their pot and potentially do other strategies. Yeah, that sounds great. And is there any other alternative investments that you've been looking at that you'd like to share with us today, Michelle? I have been doing the loans, direct-to-developer loans, but only with 
developers that I feel have got that right level of experience that I'm comfortable with. So I'm looking at that at the moment, but obviously complementing that with crowdfunding as well. And I'm going to the Alliance meetings every month because every month is definitely new learnings. You learn from Mark Stokes, you learn from Kevin, and and also all the attendees. Everyone's got a different story. And um, I get the impression that it's a, a continual learning process. That's it. And as we say, the wealth building process always begins with education. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing your story with us today, Michelle. You're very welcome. Thank you. Okay, so I'm with Mike Hedgecox, Wealth Builders member. How are you today, Mike? Yeah, great. Thanks, Chris. Now, Mike, I know you've been working with Kevin for a number of years. Would you mind just um, giving a bit of background of you know how that's worked and uh, some of the advantages? Yeah, I've known Kevin for well over 20 years now, uh, first advising me from an IFA point of view and then more recently helping me through the whole journey of setting up SIPs and then SASs and uh, investing those pension schemes uh, wisely and prudently. Excellent. Now, I know, Mike, you have been investing in businesses, but in a slightly different way. Would you mind sharing some information around that with us, please? Yeah, I've developed a strategy of making sure that the investments from our pension funds are done in a very balanced way and to make sure that we're managing risk. And uh, I think everyone has their own view on risk, um, but we've developed a model between myself and Claire, my wife, on how much we're happy to invest in different um, asset classes and assets themselves to make sure that we're not overexposing ourselves in one area. So for an example of that, um, we've set a target for ourselves that we will never invest more than 10% of our pension pot into a single investment. Um, on the, the assumption behind that is that if we're going for a growth of let's say 10% to make it really simple, that if one of our assets failed completely, we're never risking more than one year's interest payment or interest growth uh, across the whole of our investments. And that feels a prudent way for us of managing that risk. That's great. And um, is there a particular platform that you've been using to invest in businesses? So one of the platforms we've used over the last uh, two or three years is one called Thinkcats. Uh, this allows, uh, it's a crowdfunding platform effectively allowing small businesses to seek funding for their development. Um, it's an easy to use platform. We've set ours up with our SAS account. Um, we've put the money in from the SAS account and then distributed the funds into those projects. And again, we've taken a, a strategy at this level, similar to our macro strategy of never investing more than 10% of our ThinCats fund in any particular uh, venture so that again if one of those ventures doesn't work at all the maximum we're risking is 10% of the total or about one year's interest so managing the risk is top of our priorities in all of this mm. and with that platform what are some of the time frames and some of the you know returns that someone might be able to expect if they were looking at something similar um, all sorts of businesses um, look for funds on ThinCats and they look at it in all sorts of different ways for uh, either refinancing or for growing the portfolio or, or uh, um, their particular project. So the timeframes tend to be uh, two to three years um, and there's a mixture of investment types between uh, regular interest payments or interest rolled up at the end, all sorts of uh, opportunities there. Um, and the key is to obviously do the due, due diligence on those projects. So um, on the platform are some introductory notes from the introducers who talk about the projects, uh, but it's up to you to go through the detail of that and make sure you're happy with the investment before you go ahead. Mm. And, and Kevin and myself were talking on, on previous episode about 
the great diversification on these platforms is that you can find something that really matches with your values and your interests and, and therefore be, you know, really make the investing process an enjoyable process and feel quite, you know, quite involved in it, um, even though you might still be quite hands off and passive with the actual kind of running of things. Yeah, so there's all sorts of investments we've, we've uh, put into place through ThinCats, and it might be as a refinancing of business or a business looking to expand and needing some capital to do so. Um, so it's interesting to see how those businesses have invested and how they've grown. Um, again, our, it's, a, it's a very much a hands-off investment, as you said, um, but it's all down to, I think, the due diligence you do up front and whether something in there is of interest to you. Um, I think with all of these platforms, you find that there are peaks and troughs of availability of uh, investments, and you'll go through a period of time where there aren't that many on the platform, and other times where there's a whole host of opportunities come forward. So again, I wouldn't put all of my eggs into one basket, but it's just one of those areas that's worth putting some of a pension pot into, maybe, uh, just to spread risk, but also it gives you an opportunity to learn some stuff about due diligence and other aspects of wealth building. Mm. Well, you've mentioned due diligence uh, a number of times there, Mike, so I can see how important that is but also diversification and I, I know that you diversify in other areas as well would you mind just sharing some of that yeah so since we first operated a sip through uh, through kevin and then moved that into a SaaS about five years ago uh, we've definitely um, spread our investments into different asset classes so we've undertaken various things such as a loan back into our own business uh, as one area we've invested with third parties loans uh, with other people, uh, invested in shares, invested uh, in venture capital projects as well, looking uh, to help new startup businesses. Um, so a real spread of things um, to make sure that we are spreading the risk, but also uh, learning some stuff as we go. That's great. Well, thanks so much for sharing all of that information with us today, Mike. And um, thanks again for being a, a guest on Wealth Talk. You're very welcome. Thanks, Chris. Okay, so really interesting to hear both from Michelle and, and Mike there and obviously Michelle talking about diversification again, how she typically was investing in property and now obviously crowdfunding allows her to to really spread her risk. Um, and, you know, the opportunity of crowdfunding is so low to get started as well. So she's now sharing that message with other people and certainly around how people can also use Pillar 2, their pension, to uh, to to invest in crowdfunding. Well, the whole thing with wealth is the reason why we teach it this way, Chris, is we don't want people to be myopic and see that investing in in the crowd, investing in peer-to-peer -peer, somehow the domain of pillar three. It is not, you know, because you can move any money from there. You could move money from, not that I'd ever recommend it, but, you know, you could technically move money from home equity. You could move money from your pension. You could move money from cash. You could move money from your business. You know, you can just mix and match the way that you choose your balance of investments to suit who you are as a person and what your unique set of circumstances are, which is the reason why, Chris, I, I almost almost never, and I say almost never because I did give an opinion about peer-to-person, but I generally you know, wouldn't give an opinion about what I do personally unless I'm asked very specifically because my situation is unique to me, my preferences are unique to me, so what I do is not right for everybody, and what Michelle and Mike do is not right for every listener. But it's always good to hear the perspectives of different people, don't you think? Mm, yeah, most definitely is. And, and Mike had a slightly different approach there, and he talked about 
his model with never investing more than 10% into any one project. So that's his way of spreading risk and managing his risk, I should say. Well, you know, Mike's a very smart man and has done lots of good things. He's investing in many, many things, which he wouldn't have talked about today because clearly we asked him to be very specific. But, uh, you know, expert in property, expert in business, in commercial property. He's just done so many things, you know, and I've enjoyed my relationship with Mike and I would say probably in the wealth building communities, possibly my longest relationship with a client, 20 years plus, you know, I can't believe it. It's uh, incredible. And, uh, you know, we just pick up where we left off every time and he's always looking to do something interesting and different and challenges himself. Yeah, he doesn't need to do it, but it's really important for him to feel like he's participating and not just him, but him and his wife, Claire. And increasingly now he's bringing his own daughters into the equation, uh, again, as part of that growth of, you know, you building your wealth and that's important. But also the, the reason why we try and do it in a systematic way is to help the teaching of that to the next generation. And, and, and Mike's very passionate about making sure his daughters get all the lessons too. So, you know, thanks to both Michelle and to Mike for giving their time and, and, and sharing uh, with us their views. Mm. Now, Kevin, I, I really want to pick up on just this point of due diligence. It, it comes up with every member, every client we speak to. It's so critical. Of course, it's the fourth step in the wheel of wealth. Um, can we talk about due diligence? And for someone listening now, Kevin, who who maybe just doesn't know where to start, like how how do they do due diligence? What is due diligence? Well, due diligence is... It's a complicated sounding thing, isn't it? You know, is it, when is it due? Whose diligence is it? In a sense, the principle of due diligence is risk mitigation. We know that the whole essence of managing wealth is about managing returns, managing risk, and you need to do that in a certain way. And, and I tend to approach due diligence with, uh, I hint, hinted earlier on, Chris, in my alliteration, you know, and, and uh, as a teacher of wealth, I, I love finding ways to make something really, really easy. And I'm going to suggest that there are five levels, not really five levels, but five touch points, I, I guess, where it would be important just to maybe, you know, tick a box and see that you've you've made an assessment of the risk. And, and I'll come on to what if you don't know how to assess the risk in a certain thing? Some things are really very easy to do, aren't they? Um, like, you know, you can assess whether you like, um, I don't know, you, you want to invest in a low cost fund, for example, you know, that would be relatively easy to do. You do a simple questionnaire and that will help you, that will bring out your attitude to risk. And then you can choose a selection of funds or investments in the stock market that reflect that, which, which is really where it all comes down to the starting point is you as a person. So you have to assess yourself. The reason we do wealth dynamics at the very start of our relationship with our wealth builders, Chris, is because the important thing is to know yourself. And in the course of my life with talking with investors and, uh, and wealth builders increasingly, they often will tell you, Chris, and you might reflect on a little conversation we had with someone we know who was kind of slightly embarrassed as they were telling us a little about their background and that they'd made some investments, didn't really spend any time assessing the risk, but just kind of felt frustrated or a little bit um, anxious to get something done. 
and in the speed of getting something done, made errors of judgment, which cost them money. And this happens all the time. And the more your wealth dynamic is skewed towards the creative end, you know, the, the higher your dynamo energy is, the lower your tempo energy is, the more likely it is that that's going to happen. So once you know that about yourself, then you might say, well, okay, you know, I'm prone to be a bit, you know, keen to get things started, but spending time to slow it down to work out the risk is not me. Then uh, just acknowledging that in yourself can be a starting point to say, well, who else do I know? or How can I slow that process down a little bit? Because the wheel takes time to turn. And where people make mistakes is they go from a little bit of education, often tiny amounts of education, straight to action without completing, you know, finishing the education, really understanding the risk, making good connections, having somebody to support them, and then doing the final piece, which is the due diligence. So I'd say start with yourself, know yourself, know if you're likely to make those sorts of mistakes. And then if you are, slow yourself down. I think must answer. So would that be yeah? Would that be the first P? <clears throat> yeah, Chris, that'd be the first P. So know yourself as a person, and of course, if you know, look at Mike and Michelle, very different people, right? So you know, they could have chosen the same things, but they've chosen different things. So the next thing to do is, if you're looking at, let's say, it's a product, you know, something that is already packaged. Could have made another P there, Chris, but let's leave it at that. If there's a product like a, I don't know, like a an ISA or a peer-to-peer, there's a product there, isn't there? So you have to look and and try and understand, well, how does this product actually work? How does the money flow? You know, what's the process that's happening there? And how does the the investment work? So in, you know, peer-to-peer in property, you know, you need to look at it. Well, the money's going in. It's going to be invested by someone. They've got a property project. And then that project's going to deliver some outcome. You know, what are the things that could go wrong in that product? And and who's done the work to try and help you understand what that risk is likely to be and spell out those risks? So we heard a few weeks ago from Manish. And Manish is brilliant at that. You know, Manish will work and he often works with me and list, this is a risk, this is a risk, this is a risk, because we know that no investment is risk-free. So by understanding the risk and slowing it down, particularly in a product where you don't have the luxury of actually seeing anybody face-to-face, then it's important to do that. And people like Manish can do those sorts of product due diligence, but normally that's not done in somebody who's packaged a product is therefore trying to sell that product. And salesmanship is not the same as education. It's not the same as due diligence. And the quality of the brochure is not the same as the quality of the outcome. So I'm going to urge a bit of caution on products, Chris. I think over the years I've been working with people on wealth where mistakes have been made more often than not is a product that they just didn't really understand. You know, So watch out for something that's prepackaged because sometimes it's difficult to see through the layers of that. But we can help you with the, with those products if that's what you're interested in. The next one, Chris, would be people. So, you know, one of the things we do, for example, if we're working with somebody in property is, let's call them a property expert, you know, we want to know who they are. We want to know their wealth dynamic. 
We want to know their financial background. We want to know their credit score. We want to know what properties they own. We want to know if they've got relationships with investors in the past and what that experience has been. We want to know what their attitude to risk mitigation for themselves is. And and often that will help us. The, The wealth dynamic of the property expert will tell us a little bit more about what things you know, they are most likely to miss because, <clears throat> joking apart, Chris, I've met many property developers in my, let's say, the last 10 years since the credit crunch. And more often than not, if they went to Specsavers, you know, they'd be in the rose-tinted spectacle aisle. You know, they're very optimistic people by nature and often will not be thinking through some of the risks for investors, uh, which are very different to the risks for a developer. So it's important to know the people. So one of the things we do, certainly, for our wealth builder clients who engage with us to do that is spend a lot of time very rigorously checking out individuals. And we can teach you how to do that. So we'll say, these are the things we do. If you want to go do that, go do that. And that's part of uh, the relationship with us. So that's um, where we got to, Chris. So we've got personal. That was people. People on number three there. Yeah. The the other one I would say, um, certainly for for property, uh, talk about property there, is to understand, well, what are the risks specifically in the project? You know, what is the outcome? What is the, so if we look at, you know, one stage we're talking about the person, let's say the developer, we then now need to look at the development and how do you assess that? Well, I'm not an expert in that for sure. So I would use third parties that I know who would be able to look at the numbers that underpin maybe my son in the future, Chris. Uh, he's very accurate at what he does. But uh, right now, you know, I'll use third parties and they will look at the project and tell me exactly what the risks are in terms of the, you know, the, the quantity of surveyor report on do the numbers look right? Does the exit strategy look right? Do the valuations look right? Does the does the project have too much weighted towards the ultimate selling of the property and what happens if Brexit comes and does that affect that kind of property or not? Is the property benefited from help to buy? There's a whole series of things way beyond the scope of this podcast, Chris, but but I'm not the expert, you know. So the key thing for me is always if I don't know quite how to do something, I just find somebody who does. And I think that's part of the beauty of the wealth builder community. You know, we've we've got all of that. And then finally, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's knowing that you have a process for yourself, you know, that you like to work through uh, in the same way as you want to know what's like Mike, you heard from Mike, no more than 10%, you know, so what's your process for your own wealth? What percentage of your money do you want spread between the different ways you can invest in, you know, pillar one, pillar two, pillar three, and all the subsets that go on in there from, stock market investments to alternative investments to property investments to crowd investments and so on. But you have to always start with the wheel and you have to spend some time in education. And this is the problem, Chris, this takes time. And people get frustrated because what's the biggest thing that people tell us is the barrier to their wealth? It's a lack of time. So you know, mm. if you can't spend the time, then you need to engage in a community where the leverage of other people's time is already made available to you. And, you know, I hope that helps. It's not making it easy, but then, you know, we're talking about being wealthy for the rest of our lives. It isn't easy, but it's absolutely 100% doable. 
And we're committed to helping people understand how they can do that due diligence and wherever possible, help them with that for those who choose that or just show them what due diligence to do. Hopefully Mm. that was helpful with the personal, the product, the people, the process and and property in in the case of um, many because property is a very easy asset to actually do due diligence on in fact more so than a business it's many more moving parts in a business and i don't think uh, we can help too much there because business is much more of a, a complex beast than property where you've got a you know a, a simple exit strategy no business has a simple exit strategy it's much more complex mm. it just re-emphasizes points that we've covered on previous episodes and that's good and hopefully for our listeners as well these lessons are starting to sink in that wealth building is 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 a team game it's not something that that you can do on your own and um i think with those processes there those shows that you really need to engage with other people you need to build your network but first and foremost you really need to understand yourself and that will help you then to connect with the right people that can help you accelerate your journey well nicely said chris and i think you've summarized many of the lessons that have come out from podcast one to podcast 24 in a good sentence there so you know fantastic way to end the podcast i think chris well that wraps up the investment pillar for the time being anyway yeah, yeah. and um, we're not saying now you know <laughs> about investments you know we're, i think we've covered enough to be able to move on to property which is you know probably one of the biggest pillars isn't it and the most interesting one for reasons i touched on a moment ago so why don't we focus on that now actually chris we usually get Something happens between us timing our podcast that something just sometimes, you know, will pop up, wouldn't it, like we did with, yeah. uh, w- well, anything can happen. Somebody will send us a question. We think, wow, well, let's get on to that straight away and uh, yeah. let's see what happens. But property will be very, very soon, if not the very next podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, always, as always, looking forward to that, Kevin. So thanks again for today's episode. Learned a lot. And we'll catch up on the next episode of Wealth Talk. I look forward to it too, Chris. See ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership.